to us. Good evening, folks. We're getting everything back up and running again. We haven't got our evening reading rotor going, so I'm going to read the Bible to you as well. We're looking at Colossians. Um, I'm going to direct you backwards and forwards a bit in Colossians, so you might like to grab one of the paper copies of the Bibles. Um, There will be verses up on the screen. Some of you are more agile on your phones, which strike me as being a bit like the old scrolls that you can scroll through and around. But I'm... uh, I find the paper copy quite useful when we're looking at... Anyway, they're there and it's there and available for you. Um, This this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to use those uh, St. Aldate's bands from New Wine last week, partly because my son Josh was drumming in it, partly because we've used most of the videos we've made of our musicians over lockdown and we're having a break, uh, partly because they've just done it really well. And partly, if any of you are musical, we want uh, you to offer to say, come on come and help but uh, the lovely thing I like about that partly it's our drummer there Josh drumming so it's the same drummer partly the front of their church looks exactly the same as ours and that makes me feel at home Uh, but mostly it's the same God (laughs) we worship the same God Father Son and Holy Spirit where we are Uh, let's I'm going to pray and then read and then and then preach so Lord we praise you that you are the same God Father Son and Holy Spirit that we've declared in the creeds that our brothers and sisters all around the world worship and we praise you that you are a God who still speaks so send your spirit now as I read from Colossians as I speak what you've given to me but mostly we pray that you will speak through your word to each one of us tonight and we pray for grace to listen and cooperate with what you say to us and we ask it in your name amen Uh, So this is Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, a quick recap for those who weren't here two weeks ago when Andy started off in Colossians. He very helpfully produced a map for us that we'll put up so you can see where it is. Uh, it's 100 miles east of Ephesus. That is, uh, you can go to the ruins of Ephesus very easily. In fact, you can go to the ruins of Colossae as well if you go on a tour of Turkey. Uh, there it is, 100 miles east. Uh, St. Paul didn't visit Colossae. Uh, the church was planted by Epaphras, who probably went to Ephesus while Paul was there preaching every day, probably became a Christian, took the gospel back to his hometown. Uh, this is now a little while later. Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. He's heard what's going on in Colossae. Uh, Epaphras is with him in Rome and he's sending this letter with one of his friends Tychicus together with Onesimus who was the runaway slave of Philemon who probably lived in Colossae and Tychicus is taking both letters the one to Philemon with Onesimus where Paul says please have him back and be nice to him and the, and the letter to the church in Colossae so that's kind of where we are now whenever you read one of Paul's letters, it's a bit like listening to a phone conversation when you're only hearing half the conversation. So uh, round about this time, my wife will be on the phone to her mum. And when I'm at home and that happens, I pick up half the conversation and then afterwards we have a little bit of a chat. What was going on at the other end? What, what happened? What happened when she said that or whatever? And I'm trying, trying to piece together what's going on at the other end. Uh, it seems from this letter that the church is in danger of sliding into heresy. False teachers have come in. And in next week's chapter, we'll see a little bit of what they're saying. But just a few advance glimpses at next week. So verse 4 of chapter 2 says this. I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So probably they're in danger of being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And chapter 2 verse 8 See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, the elemental spiritual force of the world rather than Christ. So probably there's some philosophers coming in sounding very clever and seducing the Colossians away from Jesus. And it's quite probable that the heresy denies the deity of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Paul probably says that because they're probably saying he doesn't. Uh, and it's probably a pretty legalistic uh, teaching that's come in. You get chapter 2 verse 16 says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or how you observe these festivals. Now we try and piece it all together. Uh, the sort of philosophy that was legalistic and so on that was in Colossae all those years ago probably wouldn't appeal to us 2,000 years later. But there are other teachings that can draw us away from Christ. There's other things in the world around that can make us feel, well, maybe we're missing out. Maybe we should let go of what we believe. Uh, and whatever it was, Paul points them to this big picture of Jesus that we hear in our reading today. It reminds me of the old story of uh, a new curate. Actually, having Andy's new curate sort of reminded me of these stories. an old story of a new curate who went into this church, and it was a fairly formal church, and he was in the Sunday school with the children, and it just felt really quite formal, and he wanted to loosen it up a bit. So he sat on the table, 
and he just said, just as we get going, I've got a few questions for you. So here's one. What's small and grey and bushy-tailed? And they look a bit puzzled, and one little boy puts up his hand and says, well, I know the answer's meant to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> now, whatever the heresy was in Colossians, and we don't know, the answer really is Jesus. The, the children in that Sunday school would have got it right. Paul holds up this amazingly big picture of Jesus. And when the, he knows when the Colossians get that right, when they see Jesus as he is, then all these other philosophies won't be nearly so attractive. And you can read Paul's letters seeing him do this in lots of ways. Uh, I won't go through them all. But, th for example, Philippians, which is a great church, they're really good. But it seems there's one or two divisions there, maybe between the leaders and the punters, uh, certainly with Euodia and Syntyche, two ladies who seem to have wound a few people up. And there's a few divisions. And Paul holds up a picture of Jesus the servant. Put other people first, he says, to that church. To this church, it's this big picture of Jesus. A powerful Jesus. Uh, some of us grew up seeing some of those dreadful old paintings with Jesus looking very wet and effeminate sort of thing. Uh, and Jesus is the Lord. So, so three, three things. Uh, I'm sure there are far more than three here, but three is, seems about right. Uh, the first thing is that Jesus is the Lord of creation. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. That is an immense picture of Jesus. There from the beginning... Uh, God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, they've always been there. God's always been a father. Jesus has always been the son. The sense of the firstborn there is not that he was the first created, but that he is the, the one. He is the, the one with authority. And he has created. We read in Genesis, God creates through his word. John tells us that Jesus is the word. So it's this amazing picture of Jesus. And when you see wonders of creation, they should lead you to worship Jesus. Whether it's uh, a few years ago, when I was 50, actually that's uh, many years ago, that's now eight years ago. But we had a holiday where we went, uh, we went out to Sharm El Sheikh and we snorkeled out there. And I'd never done this snorkeling over the coral reef. And just amazing, you snorkel all these colourful tropical fish. And then there's, then there's this, like, this wall and it goes down this extraordinary colour. And Jesus made them all. And he sees all the tropical fish in every ocean of the world all the time. He made it. Some of us have little fish tanks in our house. I, haven't, I used to have a screensaver on my computer that had a fish tank. But Jesus made them all. Or when you think about the complexity of our eyes. I mean, I'm amazed at the sort of cameras we use. But they'll wear out and so on. Our eyes last for years and years and years. They can focus automatically. They can cope with all sorts of things. It's amazing. Or the ear that can hear, or the brain, the detail of it. Jesus has made us. Or when we, some of you are mountain climbers, uh, when we see majestic mountains, Jesus made the mountains. Or the oceans. Uh, my favorite throwaway line in the whole of literature is in Genesis 1 where it just says, he made the stars also. 
just, just, just like that. Now, now, whoever wrote Genesis will have known that there were a lot of stars, but he didn't know that there were as many as we know there are. Billions of stars in billions of galaxies, and Jesus made them all. Extraordinary. He set it all up, and it's grown, and creation. Jesus is the Lord of creation. I love Isaiah chapter 40 that describes this, uh, like God holding the oceans in his hand or uh, weighing the mountains on the scales. They're like grocers weigh the Brussels sprouts or the nations are like a drop in a bucket. You know, you're cleaning your car and you throw the water over the car and there's a little bit of water in the bottom of the bucket where you just leave it there. The nations are like that to Jesus. He made it all. He's the word of God. And in the scriptures... We lift our eyes to the hills. Why? Well, we look up to who made them. And Jesus made them. Nothing is impossible for him. Whatever's going on in your life, Jesus has, is the creator of the world and of you. Uh, he's made us with a purpose to know him. The world's not just an accident. It's got an intention. And when we come to know Jesus, we begin to get to know the, the reason for the purpose we exist He's the one, I love this, verse 17, in him all things hold together. And apart from Jesus, things start to fall apart. Nations, people, marriages. In him, things start to come together again. We're praying for our nation. We need to pray for our nation to come back to Jesus. He can knit us back together in ways that uh, as people are polarizing into different just in the way social media works, things are more and more polarised. But in Jesus, things hold together. And quite apart from that, uh, of course, we need to look after our world. Jesus made it. We love him. We look after our world. The Bible's always talked about how humans and the planet hold together. Uh, but it's entirely right in this sort of particular crisis time we're in for our planet, that out of love for Jesus, we care for our planet. Uh, and so next term, we're going to have, normally around harvest time, we have a focus on creation. We're going to take two Sundays next term to focus on creation and the climate and to really pray into the COP26 conference in November that's happening in this nation. Uh, and it's out of love for Jesus. That's why we do this, because he's made it and it's his. Uh, so that's the first thing. He's the Lord of creation. The second thing Paul tells us is that Jesus is the head of the church. So we'll pick it up from verse 17 and go on. He's before all things, in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. So he's the Lord of the church. He was the Lord of those first 12 disciples. He poured out his spirit at Pentecost as we sang in that song, and the spirit lit the flame. He's the Lord of this church family. He's the head of the church worldwide the church that has been growing down the years ever since Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And Jesus has promised he will build his church. Now, here we are in August, uh, just emerging from the pandemic, and there's a few of us in the building, not nearly as many as there used to be. I'm sure it's going to build again. Uh, but regardless of whether there were, there used to be us at up to 150 on a Sunday evening here, or we're about, what, I don't know, 30 35 tonight, 40, I can't count quite that quickly. Uh, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the head of the church and he's building his church all over the world. And from time to time, we lose confidence in that. From time to time, we just think, oh, what's going to happen to the church in the world? People seem so uninterested. 
G.K. Chesterton said that five times in the history of Europe, it's looked like the church was going to the dogs, but each time it was the dog that died. And the church has continued to grow, and it will do. Jesus is the head of the body, and he's promised, I will build my church. I was remembering just this week, after my eldest, my Thomas, my eldest is now 30, uh, but when each of our children did their GCSEs, we took them on a bit of a trip, and I went with Thomas to Rome. He loved ancient Rome. Uh, and I'd, I'd been to Rome as a teenager many, many years ago, but I didn't really get to see that much of it then. Uh, and so I went with my boy when he was 16, and we looked around Rome, and Thomas showed me round. His, he'd read everything, and he knew where it all was. And we looked at how splendid it must have been. And I remember going into the Colosseum, it's amazing. And as we crossed the threshold, I found myself tearing up. I said, really, what's going on? And I said, Lord, what's this about? It was a bit like I tear up in worship sometimes. What's going on? And I, the thought in my head came that I take was the whisper of the Lord, was this is a holy place. Thousands of people gave their lives for me in this place. And something of the contrast between... 2,000 years ago and how things were today came on me. That when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome. He was going to die, killed by Caesar. Who would have thought 2,000 years ago with the might of imperial Rome that the church would survive, would thrive, would grow all around the world? And now if you go to Rome, ancient Rome is just a whole load of ruins and of course, there's the Vatican there dominating. Uh, whatever you think about the buildings and the Roman Catholic Church and all that, it's an extraordinary turnaround from 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the head of the church. And his church will grow. It's growing here in this town. Uh, God's, he's growing our church here at St. Paul's. He wants to help re-energize and revitalize other churches through us and plant new things. He is growing his church and we submit to him. He's the Lord of creation. He's the head of the church. And thirdly, he's the saviour of the world. Let's carry on, verses 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. We were enemies. And because of what Jesus did on the cross that we celebrate at communion this evening, because he paid the price for your sin and my sin, we are forgiven, we are washed clean, we're adopted into God's family, we're reconciled to him. And Jesus did that for everybody in the world. He doesn't force uh, people to bow the knee to him but he's made the door wide open for anyone who chooses to bow their knee to him as Lord it's utterly wonderful and you get this again and again all the way through the letter uh, last week we read this verses 12 and 13 in chapter 1 God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves uh, looking around, I know some of your stories. For some of you, it was a very dramatic rescue. For others, it was a gradual thing. For me, I grew up in a Christian family and as a teenager was torn two ways between the Jesus I knew to be true 
and the expressions of church I'd found, boring village church and school chapel, uh, which neither of them filled me with much joy. To be honest. And I, I was wrestling with this, and God met me and rescued me. And he met you and rescued. Some of you, you're on the way. Brilliant. Focus on Jesus. He's the saviour of the world. On the surface, the world around, everything, people's social media, their Facebook, their Instagram, it looks like they're all having the best time in the world. But underneath, there's so much emptiness and anxiety. There's people worried about politics and there's people worried about finances and there's people worried about relationships and there's people uh, falling out with different people and there's no sense that things are going to get better. And underneath there's this alienation from God and Jesus brought us back together. Uh, so uh, there's so much there. I've got lots of other references I should have done, but we'll, we'll move on. Uh, the amazing thing is that Jesus is God who died on the cross for you and for me. And when you take all of these things, that he's made everything, he's the Lord of creation, He's the saviour of the world and he's the head of the church. And in him it all hangs together. It should fill us with hope. Andy touched on this last week. Uh, this hope. Let's go to chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where we were last week. Uh, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and hope, love that spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven. Uh, Paul talks about this hope in our passage today, verse 23. Uh, let's go back to verse 23 if we can, if we've got that there. There we go. Thanks, Dan. You're being brilliant. I'm dotting around and changing the order I gave these things to you. Uh, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And verse 27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have an extraordinary hope and we live at a time when people are lacking hope. They're no longer convinced that things are going to get better. Uh, the modern world, for most of the last century, the scientific modern world, had this sense of progress that things are getting better and better. So it's worth sacrificing now for a better future. But so much of the scientific advance just led to weapons that led to wars and destruction. Uh, as well as lots of good things. They don't change the heart. And in this postmodern world, there's, there isn't the same hope for the future. There's no sense that everything's getting better. There's a sense that, well, we just don't know how it's going. And Jesus gives us hope. I remember when I was uh, at theological college a long time ago, there was the recently written a German theologian called Jürgen Moltmann who'd written a book about theology of hope. And he made the point that in the Middle Ages, around about 1100, most of the theology that was being written and wrestled with was a theology of love. Does God really love us? And at the Reformation, around about the time of Martin Luther, most of the wrestling in theology was about faith. How do we, what does it mean to have faith in God? But he said, what's needed for our world, our postmodern world that's lost hope, is a theology of hope. And it's right here in Colossians. Uh, Paul's saying, don't be seduced by the empty philosophy of the world. Don't be seduced by the appearances, don't, by clever talking people. Focus on Jesus. He's alive, he's risen from the dead, he's coming back. He's going to restore all things. 
He's the one who gives us forgiveness from the past. He gives us strength for today. He gives us hope for the future. Uh, So what? So what should we do? Well, we should focus on Jesus. The last two verses of our reading, verses 28 and 29. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy he works in me. We focus on Jesus. And we keep on focusing on him. Little advanced verses for next week, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So focus on Jesus. Be thankful. Isn't it great in the prayers? Lizzie got us to thank God for what was good through this week. Good discipline each night, actually, particularly if you've had a bad day. Find three things to thank God for before you get to good discipline just each day. To thank God. Focus on Jesus. Uh, But there's also another note here, which is we need to be prepared to suffer for him. Because when we unite ourselves with Jesus, when we choose to stand with him, we're out of step with the world around. And we do get accused of various things. We know they're not true. We're misunderstood. And while our brothers and sisters around the world face horrible persecution, it can still feel really difficult. So St. Paul says in verse 24 of our passage, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what's lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. He is suffering for the church to grow. And it's worth it because of Jesus. Uh, But verse 29 uh, He says, I strenuously contend with the energy Christ works in me. So hang in there, focus on Jesus, be thankful. It is costly, but it is worth it. Uh, I'll shut up there and we will do exactly what I've just said. We're going to focus back onto Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing another song that focuses on him. We're going to come to communion and gather around his table. We feed on him. We are the body of Christ. We feed on his body. We become more Jesus-like as we do that together. Uh, But before we sing and before we do communion, we're going to pray. So would you stand and we'll just keep a moment of quietness. I'll lead in a prayer and we'll just be still for a moment. That verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you live in us by your Holy Spirit. You have forgiven us. You've adopted us into your family. You've put your spirit in us and you've promised never to fail us, never to forsake us, but to be with us always. Come now by your Holy Spirit and fill us afresh, we pray. And minister to those deepest bits of of us which struggle to trust you which have lost hope or are anxious about what's going on. Come and fill us, and fill our minds with just how wonderful you are. Come Holy Spirit, let's just take a minute before we sing.